You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Good morning, church. So good to have you all here this morning. I love gathering with the family of God. You know, every time we gather is unique. There's never a duplicate, you know, an identical gathering. Every time it's a unique, unique combination of people and something unique that God wants to do in our midst. So I'm so glad you chose to come this morning. Um, so excited to welcome our guests, Dr. Jeff and Carol Hubing this morning. Introduce them to you. Uh, they're dear friends. And uh, all weekend long, they've been hanging out with uh, the Kyle for College students. Friday, Saturday, God did amazing things in college students' lives uh, right here. And so thankful for their ministry. Um, I go back, you know, 15 plus years. It was my first encounter with the ministry of, uh, of Jeff and Carol. And they impacted my life, and I've just stayed connected with them over the years. Um, but I, I believe that uh, these sorts of relationships are significant. You know, outside relationships, outside voices um, that, you know, aren't necessarily in our bubble here in Ames, but outside voices that can speak a timely word in due season. And uh, I, I just, I'll bring you back to one year ago. We were having breakfast with, with Jeff and Carol after they had, they had been here, exactly one year ago they had been here. And uh, we were sitting around the table talking about discipleship and community. And Jeff said something about discipleship and community that you know, lodged a seed in my heart that ended up defining the rest of this, this school year that we're in right now. But he talked about how in discipleship we miss it if we don't emphasize Jesus as king. If we just talk about the transactional uh, aspect of Jesus as Savior and forget to emphasize Jesus as King, we set people up for failure to realize that now the trajectory of their life is now, now changed forever. And uh, that so impacted me, that, like almost the, the, the lack of emphasis on kingdom that oftentimes we've, uh, we've fallen into in the Western church. And so that, that really, that lodged a seed in my heart that set me uh, on really seeking the Lord in that regard. And this whole school year, we have been pressing into that theme of exploring kingdom and kingdom paradigming and kingdom understanding as we follow Jesus. And so that's why I'm saying sometimes an outside perspective, an outside voice can be so significant in your walk with Jesus. So it is for us as a family, the, the, the family of God here at LifePoint. So uh, will you all stand to your feet and welcome Jeff as he comes this morning? Come on, give it up. Thanks, buddy. Good morning. God bless you guys. I'm really excited to be here. And because we're working on a limited time schedule, I'm going to move quickly. So you're going to open up to Matthew 16. While you're doing that, just a picture. I wanted to say hello from the family. I don't know if you guys have ever seen our kids before, but there they are. The oldest guy is on the left. His name is Cadence. He's a freshman at Wheaton College in Illinois. On the right, the, yeah, they keep disappearing. On the right, is Isaac. He's a junior in high school, along with the, the young lady next to him, Acacia. She's a sophomore, so they go to the same high school. And then our youngest, Alina, is in sixth grade, and she's homeschooled by my lovely, wise, and beautiful wife, Carol, who happens to be here on the front row. She is going to bring a word tonight that is going to be powerful. I know this because I've heard it, and not just in a meeting setting, but I've heard it echo through her very life for the last 10 years, especially, but even before that. So I'm not, I'm not sure what you're doing tonight, 
But if you don't have any business meetings to go to or anything like that, come on out. Also, you guys are super hardcore for having a business meeting on Valentine's Day. That's legit. I'm going to tell the church back in Chicago about that one. I am uh, I'm super impressed. But yeah, so the Lord is already speaking this issue with the box and the key. I feel like God is going to like even add to that. I feel that I know what the box is, is about, and it's, it has to do with the kingdom. It just so happens I'm speaking on the passage this morning where Jesus explicitly tells Peter that he has the keys to the kingdom. So the entire idea of unlocking something, a gold box, something full of treasure and, and goodness, like... You know, you just start rehearsing the parables that Jesus taught, the one about the pearl of great price, the one about finding a treasure hidden, buried in a field, and you understand, I believe, what's on God's heart today. And I uh, wanted to share with you something that is really critical, not only for an understanding of what God's doing here in Ames, but for what God's doing, period. One of the things I shared with the guys over the weekend is that there comes a moment when we need to kind of stop asking what is God's will for my life and just drop those last three words and start asking just what is God's will? What is his plan? What is his purpose? Big picture. Because what is God's will for my life? It's a fair question and it, it does need to be asked at times, but it can, be, it can become really myopic, self-centered, too small. In our gaze, our vision needs to be lifted higher. We need to see a longer view. Some, because really what we're living into is something that is rooted in eternity past and is going to carry us to eternity future. That is the kind of grid that, that, that we require to live as disciples of Jesus. So this morning we're going to be in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. I want to give you three key words that in a way have been uh, a grid for our work in Chicago, but I mean, to me, it's just a grid for the work of God's people in general. The one, apparently, you spend a great deal of time on already this year is kingdom. The second is family, and the third is mission. In my view, you can helpfully summarize the content of the New Testament witness using those three terms. I want to show you in this very important passage how they fit, and I think how it can help because sometimes we're not quite sure. Well, you know, we talk about kingdom. What, what is the relationship to church? What is the relationship to uh, witnessing? What is the relationship to our work in the world? And I, I want to hopefully map that grid out for you this morning. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the districts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? By Son of Man here, he refers to himself. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, quick pause. We've already read 15 and a half chapters of Jesus doing all kinds of insane things, right? Everything from, you know, the simple miracles, like healing a fever, to the ridiculous, like walking on water or controlling the weather which might have come in handy last night for some of the people who were sliding down the driveway. Like, it, you know, there are times when you kind of just look around and you see, like, this is just not things people can do. You know, and they, so they've been tracing this for 15 full chapters, as it were, in Matthew's Gospel. And we see the, the miraculous, the power, the exorcisms of satanic, you know, spirits and all that kind of stuff. 
And so Jesus is, you know, with the guys, and he's like, so what's the word on the street? You know, like, kind of like, what, what's, you know, and they're telling him wrong answers. But just keep in mind that every wrong answer is also an impossibility. Because all the people here that they list are deep, if you're Scottish. Or, if, you know, just, they're dead, right? I mean, they're dead. They're all dead. By this time, John the Baptist was beheaded, right? So he's dead. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophets, they're all dead. Elijah, they're, I mean, he went up to heaven in a chariot of fire, or, you know, so, but he's still not around. So whatever the case, these are all supernatural answers. So, I mean, at least they appreciate the fact that Jesus isn't just your average Jesus, your average Joe, your average Yeshua, you know, however you want to say it. They're, all, they're on the right track, but they're still not fully there. So he turns to them and says, who do you say that I am? And at this is the point where, where Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This um, testimony about Jesus, he says, is not of human origin. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter has a revelation, and he sees and then articulates the identity of Jesus in that moment. And the word he uses here in Hebrew is pronounced Mashiach. In Greek, it's translated to Christos. In English, we, we say Christ, but it's not really a translation. It's just taking the, the Greek sounds and bringing them into English. What it means is anointed one. And in a Jewish world, there's only certain kinds of people that qualify for this title, and it's really a title. Anointed ones in Israel's history could be priests and sometimes prophets, sometimes warriors or workmen. But most often, the title anointed one goes to kings. Your unimpressive kings and then your impressive ones. They're all called the same thing. And what is super important in Jesus' generation is the fact that David was made a promise, if you guys remember this in 2 Samuel 7, that one of his descendants would forever sit on a throne. God made a covenant with him about that. And the people of Israel had been waiting for 900 years to see that covenant promise fulfilled because it hadn't been up to that point. It, it was possible that Solomon was a precursor to the fulfillment, but he died and he was buried. So he definitely wasn't on a throne forever. So the name, the title, Messiah, is a reference point to a promised king. I'm going to refer you to Psalm 2. I'm not going to read it because of the time constraint, but Psalm 2 is where we see the link between the three key identity markers of Jesus. In Psalm 2, there's a prophecy about a key leader that's coming, and in that psalm, he's called Messiah, anointed one, King and Son of God. Psalm 2 is, the, is, the, is like the, the, uh, the beat behind this passage. The, the, the language of Son, Messiah, and King. They all go together and they all refer to the same person and that's Jesus. So in, in Matthew 16, 
The identity marker Jesus is looking for is you are the anointed ruler. You're the king. Everything starts there. Heaven is working in Peter's life to unveil this. Okay? And he gets a vision and a, and a grasp on reality and says, you are the one sent to rule. The government is on your shoulders. Isaiah was prophesying that. You're, you're the king of Israel. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus announces a blessing. So everything in terms of what Jesus is doing is rooted in this objective. The, the identity of Jesus as king has to be unveiled. It's where everything starts in terms of Jesus' project and Jesus' mission. It has to be revelation and it has to lead to reorientation. And this is what I think Drew was referring to earlier. We, we have to help people understand the kingship of Jesus is the reason we can be forgiven. He has the authority to do that because, precisely because he's king. It's the reason we can be redeemed. It's the reason we can be liberated from the dominion of darkness and transferred into, Colossians 1 says, the kingdom of his beloved son. Unless he's king, we don't get covenant blessings. Because he's king, we experience everything that God's promised, including his love, his friendship, his intimacy, his presence, his power. They all stem from the fact that right now in the heavens, he's seated on a throne at the right hand of God. That's where everything comes from. So the kingship of Jesus is the starting point. The kingdom is what we announce because it's the kingdom that gives us the keys to unlock everything else, as we're going to see shortly. All right, so kingdom is where we start. But notice this. As soon as Peter identifies him as king, Jesus announces the primary burden of his mission. Right? Peter says, you are king. Jesus says, you're blessed, you're the rock, and on this, I will build something. What is he going to build? He says here, his church. So Peter becomes a rock, not because he's the pope, but because he's a man with a revelation of the kingship of Jesus. And Jesus says, that's what I'm building on right there. That is the foundation of this whole thing. And what is he building? He's building his ecclesia, his assembly. It's a translation of a Hebrew word, kahal, which means the, the congregation of God. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. It's unfortunate in English that for us, when we use the word church, most often it refers to a structure, a building, a place. In the ancient world, it didn't refer to that. It referred to a people. A gathered people. So here's why it becomes important. It's the kingship of Jesus that generates the church. The first thing out of his mouth when Peter says king. Peter says king, Jesus says church. Because the church is the physical evidence of the kingship of Jesus. You know, if you want to introduce someone to the kingdom, what are you going to do? The kingdom of God. You can't take them to a city. There's no seat of government. There's no throne on the earth that you can bring them to to visit. I mean, when, you, when someone wants to see the 
the, the government of America. You can bring them to the White House. You can bring them to Congress. You can show them Washington, D.C. You can show them like a standing army. They can visit military bases to show you how the thing works. You pronounce the kingdom of God. You go around, Jesus is king. And they're like, where? Where is he king? Where is his throne? Where is his a seat of authority? Where is his governmental um, congressional buildings? There ain't any of that stuff. Because the throne is in heaven. You want to introduce people to the kingdom, what you have to do is reveal to them the church. Because we are the evidence that Jesus is king. For better or for worse, we're it. If you want to see, like, how do we show people the kingship of Jesus? We show them the family of God. A people submitted to his rule. Who testify to the fact of his power. Who can give us a story like this of, of a single person submitting to the kingship of Jesus that produces a generation of faithful ones coming in his train. My God, that is awesome. Like our very existence testifies to the fact that Jesus is king. And that's how it's designed to be. You and me, we're the evidence of his royal rule. We are it. Now, of course, God works in powerful ways with or without us, but his primary vehicle for conveying the truth about his rule is us. See, church is not just some optional appendage on your personal private relationship with Jesus. Church is the target. The family is the thing that's being constructed by the king. And if we're like off in la-la land trying to do our own thing and not paying attention to what he's trying to craft, then we're kind of in a way wasting our time. Like it's not up to us to choose what we're building and then ask God to bless it. He's already decided what he's building. And we're called to submit to him and get on board and construct Everybody in this room is a worker, a builder. Everybody in this room is going to stand before God one day. 1 Corinthians 3. And everything you've done, all the stuff that you've worked at all your life is going to be submitted to him. And fire is going to come and test it. I mean, does that ever register with you? I mean, fire is going to test our work. And we're going to see what we've built with what we've been given. He says you can build with gold, silver, precious stone, or you can build with wood, hay, and stubble. And what happens with wood, hay, and stubble is it gets consumed and there's nothing left. And such a person, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, will be saved as through fire but won't bring anything with them into forever. On the other hand, you could build with gold, Silver, precious stones. What happens when you put gold in a fire? What happens is the impurities bubble up. You swipe those things away, and then what's left is something more precious than it was before. More pure, more valuable. So guys, we have the opportunity right now. This is our life. Are we going to build with Jesus, with, wood, with, with the gold, the, precious, the silver, the precious stones? I would rather go into heaven into eternity with like a little nugget of gold than a mountain of wood, hay, and stubble. I will build my church, Jesus said. 
The kingship of Jesus generates the family of God. It's what he's building. Okay, and it's very important to understand that. It certainly has individual implications. We are all sons and daughters. We all have the right to access him as a father. It's perfectly right. We should have an intimate relationship with him. But we should also have a communal identity where we see one another through the lens of kinship. Where, where, you know, we're used to having our own siblings, maybe cousins, aunties, and uncles, and all the rest. But now we find ourselves linked up with people who have nothing in common with us. You know, my ancestors, my ancestors from Holland, Luxembourg, Western Europe. And all of a sudden I find that I'm in a covenant family with people from Bolivia, people from Indonesia, people from China, people from Iraq. It's like, that's bananas. This thing that Jesus is building defies human objections and borders and lines that we like to draw between ourselves. And it says that we should come and stand together as peers, as equals, beneath his loving rule. And we're being constituted as this family because the, the, a social reality is required to manifest the rule of Jesus. And in the end, that's what's going to happen, right? You guys read, read the end of the story. Is that we become the dwelling place of God, Revelation 21 says. That, that's a powerful statement, Revelation 21, I think it's verses 4 through 9, when God says, now, the dwelling place of God is among people. It says he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more sorrow, no more death. And there's no more sun because the lamb is our light. There's no temple because we are it. Like just, those things are so incredible. But we're supposed to be a foretaste of that now. People that hang around us are supposed to walk away feeling like they've met with God in some weird way. Whether they know it or not. Whether they understand theology or not. Whether they get the gospel yet or not. They should, there should be some kind of impact they have because they're with us. Because why? Because we're with him. Kingdom generates family. The family has to understand that Jesus is building us, but then he's recruiting us to participate in that process. And here you could look at different passages. Ephesians 4, where you've got the, the five groups of people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and their job is to align and equip the saints for the work of ministry. And you read all the way down to the end of that passage, 4, 15, and 16, and you see every part has to do its work so that the body builds itself up in love. So Jesus is building, but the way he's doing it is through us, and we're participating. You could look at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, where Paul talks about the spiritual gifts. And what does he say is the goal of these gifts? The word he uses there is edification. What does that mean? It means construction. Anybody, any contractors in the room? Like, you, you're constructing stuff in a physical sense. We're constructing stuff in a spiritual sense. We're becoming a, a spiritual house for God. Stones are being stacked on top of stones, 1 Peter 2. And we're supposed to be doing some of the stacking. When you prophesy, when you teach, when you exhort, when you serve, when you heal, you're building. And the body keeps on emerging. And growing up, Paul says, growing up into the head, who is Christ. 
So in many passages we could look at, but the building of the church is the primary focus of the kingdom. The kingdom is just the, the, the authoritative expression of the loving rule of Jesus. The church is the population of that kingdom that is being so constructed to reflect the likeness of Christ, the power of Jesus. And out of that powerful, recreated family, now comes a mission. The mission of the people of God. And the mission is hinted at here as the passage continues. The first thing you need to know about the mission is that it will be opposed. <laughs> right? So the first thing Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In other words, there are gates that are set up to oppose this thing that God is doing. The, the devil and his allies, who are represented here by the gates of Hades, they're here to stop this thing from happening. Their entire agenda is to ruin gods. One thing you need to know about the devil is that he's not creative. He doesn't make stuff. All he does is distort the things that God makes. Right? I mean, you read the story in Genesis, the devil can't create anything. All he can do is mess up the thing that God's creating. The devil is always reactionary. He never had, the only agenda he has of his own is to stop the one God has. That's not creative. That's just destroying the things that already exist somewhere else. God has an agenda for us. He's building something. The only thing the devil can come up, to, can come up with is to just try and stop that. He's not as smart as Jesus. Come on, somebody. He is inferior. He is a creature. God is the infinite creator of everything. This is not even a fair fight. But you need to know it is a fight. And you need to know that he won't win. It's important. There are gates, there is opposition, but it won't succeed. won't prevail. We're on the winning side. And we need to remember that. Whether we're in times of prosperity or when we're in times of, of oppression. Whether people are respecting us in our culture or whether they're persecuting us. It doesn't matter to us. We're the same. We're confident. We're pursuing Jesus. We know we win. Whether we lay down our lives or whether we get promoted. Whether we're like Daniel or Joseph, second in command to, to the king or, or whoever. Or whether we're like, uh, you know, who am I trying to think of now? De uh, forgive me. Whether we're like uh, 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 the, the, the prophets of old, some of whom get, like Hebrews 11 says, some got sawn in half. Right? Whether we're carried off into Egypt like Jeremiah or whether we're promoted to, to, the, to the throne like Daniel, the, the second in command of all, uh, Persia. Look, it doesn't matter. Our approach is the same. We locate our citizenship, our authority, our rule at the right hand of God, and we do what he says. We do what Jesus says, no matter whether the culture around us welcomes that or whether it rejects it. We don't change, because he doesn't change. So we're okay no matter what. We're going to do God's will. So the mission is going to be opposed. But we win. The gates of Hades will not prevail. I mean, it's just that simple. And, here we go, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
Man, we have authority now. This is awesome, guys. You know, Peter has the keys here in, in, in this first step toward the building of the church, and it, it just means that he has authority to unlock the thing for people. Whatever he binds on heaven will have been bound in, whatever he binds on earth will have been bound in heaven, and, and whatever he uh, releases on earth will have been released in heaven. That's authority. There's authority here to access that treasure, that gold box, man. There's authority. And we get it. Because why? Because we're the family of the king. You know, when you're a prince or a princess in the household, you know you have certain access. You just do. And so we have that. And we have the authority to say what's wrong and right. We have the authority to say this is true and this isn't. We have the authority to say that's okay and that's not okay. To help people live lives that are consistent with the kingship of Jesus. Man, that's what we're trying to do. We want to help people with that. Because even though God can recreate you in an instant, you, I mean, you, you can have a new heart in an instant. You can, you can be delivered and saved and transformed in an instant, but your mind needs processing, doesn't it? Romans 12, right? This is, you have to renew that thing. You gotta renew your mind. And that's the third thing that has to do with our mission. So it's gonna be opposed, but we have authority, but then we need our mind renewed. Because this is what it says in verse 21. Jesus starts to teach his disciples about what it means that he's king. And he tells them, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. Uh, they're going to hand me over. They're going to beat me. They're going to torture me. And then they're going to kill me and put me in a ground, in a tomb. And everyone's like, yeah, okay. No, they're not. They're not ready for that. And Peter stands up. I mean, the very guy that Jesus just called the rock, right? The guy with the revelation of Jesus' kingship. He stands up and says the words that you can never say to the king if he's truly the king. No, Lord. This will never be. Isn't that crazy? This dude is the rock. He's the thing. I mean, Jesus just got done saying, you're what I'm looking for. A man with the revelation of my kingship given from the Father above. And then all of a sudden, like in the turn of a moment, get behind me, Satan. He goes from rock to devil in an instant. Why? Well, Jesus says why. Your mind is set on the interests of people and not on the interests of God. The mission, guys, includes constructing a mindset and a mentality that is appropriate to the kingship of Jesus and his work in building the church. And if you don't get that, then we can't go anywhere. So the mindset needs to be constructed. It needs to be built in people. The, the mindset on the flesh, Romans says, is death. It cannot generate anything life-giving or life-affirming. So the mind has to be set on, Paul says, the spirit, because that's life and that's shalom, erene, peace. It's part of the word that's coming tonight, which I'm excited for. But the mind set on the spirit, that you, your mind has to be transformed. You got to set your mind on the things of God. The things of God require the cross. It's necessary for Jesus to go to that place. It's necessary for him to die for the sin of the world. It's necessary for him to rise to new life. So that in the future, anybody that dies with him 
goes into the tomb with him can go out the other side with him. It's necessary to defeat sin and death. It's necessary to generate a new humanity. See, the cross means not only death to the world from our point of view, but our death from the world's point of view. We gotta start fresh. We gotta come with him and be buried so that we can experience the newness of life that comes with resurrection. And one day our very bodies will be transformed, right? We get to experience the resurrection power of the gospel now by recreating a heart and renewing a mind. And then one day, guys, in the twinkling of an eye, Paul says, our lowly bodies will be transformed to match the body of the resurrected Son of God. How about that? Come on now. This is real. This is our destiny. This is our future. You know, the guy with the bum hip, you know, one day it's going to be good. You know, the, some of you folks dealing with the gout and, the, you know, different things, it's going to be good. You're going to be fine. You might still have scars. The resurrected Jesus had scars as a testimony of his love and obe obedience and faithfulness. But he's alive forever. And his body is made out of spirit, if you can figure out that one. It says our natural bodies will take on spirit. They will become spiritual bodies. Because the spirit of God is not nothing. It's just, God's spirit is a substance. It's just not the kind that we're accustomed to. And so we're going to be made of, of that somehow. That's our destiny. So the renewing of the mind takes on the quality of the mission and the destiny of the people. And this is, this is how we learn how to live in a way that makes Jesus proud and that resembles him to the world system. So the mission will be resisted. The mission requires authority. The mission looks like renewing the mind. And then finally, the mission generates a culture. It generates a, a certain set of values and priorities that look like this. Verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his or her soul? What shall a man or woman give in return for his or her soul? The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he'll repay each person according to what he has done. I'm telling you, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, I think the last line refers probably to his, his resurrection and his appearances and his establishment on the throne, his ascension. But for the most part, I just want you to focus on the cross part. Like This is, this is the kind of culture that needs to be generated now. A people whose lives are not their own. A people who aren't living for what they can grasp and cling to. A people who find it completely fulfilling to release things. Not to fight for what's theirs, but to deny themselves. To prefer others before themselves. To embrace that quality of Jesus that's like nothing else. His, his meekness. You know what he says in Matthew 11? He says, come. And learn from me because I am meek and lowly in heart. Guys, the culture of God's kingdom isn't about chest thumping. 
the culture of the kingdom looks like getting low and bowing down. Jesus tells his disciples, you're not going to lead like the world leads. Because them leaders in the world, what they do is they climb on the backs of people until they get to the top of the heap. It shall not be so among you. Very clear. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. The greatest among you will be everybody else's slave. Because in the kingdom you descend to greatness. The the greatest in the kingdom are the ones that get down underneath everybody else and lift them up. Just like our Messiah did. Just like our king. He went as far down as you can go. Even further, right? I mean, according to the ancient creeds, he descended into hell. Now, I don't know about all that. It's, the translation is an issue. But he went down as far as you can go, humanly speaking, into a tomb, preaching to spirits in prison, whatever that means. If he went to hell, if he went to some temporary holding place, okay. The point is he went down as far as you can go so that he can lift us up as far as we can go. Right? So the culture of the kingdom looks like cross-shaped. In the kingdom, kings carry crosses, guys. That's the nature of his royal rule. So man, we're shaped to be like him now, sons and daughters. We're trying to walk in the footsteps of our great king and leader. So don't be surprised when the cross comes your way. Because it's coming. You don't have to ask for it, it'll come. I mean, it took the disciples eight chapters in Mark. It took them 16 chapters in Matthew. It took them nine chapters in Luke. But eventually it came. The cross came their way. And here's what I suggest you do when the cross comes your way. Pick it up. Because you can't get around it. You know what I mean? It's like you're walking in a path with Jesus, and all of a sudden he kind of just turns around and drops something down for you. That's a cross. That requires hardship. It requires suffering. It requires you denying yourself and laying down rights, laying down preferences, laying down things you think you deserve. And you're like, I'm not sure I want that. So you just kind of try to sidestep it. But the minute you sidestep it, you lose the path. You lose the king. It's really weird that way. But you you sidestep the cross in your path, and now you lose vision of where the king is actually going. And you can wander around out here for years if you want. And this happens to some of us. We get sidetracked. We make a bad call because we're not willing to suffer. And all of a sudden we look back two years, five years, ten years later, and we're like, what happened? I don't, I don't know what I'm doing out here. I know where I lost, somehow I lost the plot. I, I lost that first love. I lost that passion. I lost that sense of why, why I got into this thing. And you can try all you want to get back to it, but guys, you're going to have to go back to the point of deflection and pick up that cross. Because once you pick that thing up, Jesus becomes perfectly clear to you again. His character and his will and his path. So let's not be afraid of that. Let's be people who face suffering with courage, who face hardships with joy, who realize, man, the king went there ahead of us. He knows what to do. Yeah? He'll map it out for us. So this morning, guys, uh, I'm finished. Let's stand. I want to pray for you, and then I'll turn it over to Joe. But I just felt really to impress upon you the importance of these things, kingdom, family, and mission. 
If you're rehearsing this regularly, I don't think you're going to get lost. If, if you're ever mindful of the fact that Jesus is king and that his primary burden is the construction of a people, the church, a family that resembles him, that loves him, that wants to do his will from the heart, that wants to be intimately related to him and to one another, and that this family is called into mission together, that mission will be opposed, but we have authority. And we can renew our mind to the things that God values, Jesus wants. And then by, by humble, right, like willing humility and, and emptiness of, of, you know, Jesus says, the poor of spirit inherit the kingdom. We, we can make a way in the world that looks like the culture of God's kingdom. And as family, we can extend the reach of that rule. And we can welcome new people into our family. And we can train them. Like we train our children. Like what does it mean to be a part of our household? And they can learn the customs and the, the, the ways of the Lord with us. And it, it's going to be awesome. It will be hard. There will be moments of great, great tribulation and difficulty. I mean, that's all in the book. But it's worth it, guys. Because in the end of the day, we inherit everything. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. All things are yours. Because you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. So in the end, Lord, we, we, in the end, we lose nothing by sacrificing everything. In fact, we gain it all a hundred times over according to Jesus. So Lord, thank you so much for your gospel, for your rule, for your presence. You're with us and you're for us because we're with you. And I pray today that the, the reality of your work, the, the cornerstone of the testimony of the kingdom, the identity of Jesus as the anointed one. Lord, we would see you like Peter did. We would recognize you and we would be willing to have our whole way of life reoriented around you. Build us, Lord. Build us into the family that you desire, the church that you desire. Build us and equip us to build one another up in this most holy faith and launch us into the work of mission under the authority of Jesus, even in spite of opposition, remind us that you will prevail in us. Renew our minds to these things. Give us the courage and power to walk with you even though we carry crosses, even though we descend and humble ourselves and we deny ourselves. And God, in all of that, we find rich satisfaction in your presence. Thank you for the key that opens that golden box. Thank you for access to your presence, to your power, and to your goodness. In Jesus' name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.